You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with another violent assault in Vancouver. This one putting a newcomer to Canada in hospital with serious injuries. The victim, a food delivery person just doing his job when a stranger attacked, repeatedly stabbing him. As Krista Dow reports, it's just the latest in a rash of violent incidents. <laughs> This is the aftermath of a violent and horrifying attack in Chinatown. The victim surprisingly calm despite what's just happened to him. I saw blood coming out of his neck like, uh, like gushing out like, like, a, like a faucet. Uh, and I think he got stabbed in the neck and the arm. He ha had a knife and he was trying to, to reach the face and the neck. And the Sunday night assault on Gore Avenue, unprovoked, according to Vancouver police. The victim, a food delivery driver, locking up his bicycle at around 6 p.m. when he is stabbed repeatedly. But he was just here, just gushing here, and then like he went over there. Bystanders immediately call 911 and rush to stop the bleeding. Their quick action possibly saves the 22-year-old victim's life. Like one dude like had a cloth, like I told you earlier closing the neck, uh, but there was, there was a lot of blood. Police say he is a refugee, having just arrived in Canada from Afghanistan back in May. A young man trying to make a go of it in the world at work. He's locking up his bike to a, a street pole, um, doing deliveries for Skip the Dishes when he's uh, approached by somebody that he doesn't know um, and attacked for uh, what appears to be completely random and unprovoked reasons. The violence comes on the heels of increased random stranger attacks in Vancouver. Lately, it's been terrifying. I don't know. I, I am now, now thinking the possibility to move on and, and find another place to, to live because this is not good. I don't think anybody should see what I saw last night. You can't unsee that. It's like it's unreal. It's obviously concerning. Um, we're making progress in terms of uh, cases like these where we're, we're able to make arrests. The suspect arrested about 30 minutes later in Crab Park. 43-year-old Dennis Prasad is charged with one count of aggravated assault and remains in custody awaiting a bail hearing set for Tuesday. Chris Dow, Global News. And a B.C. business group is calling for immediate action in response to what they call untenable street issues and crime across the province. The group says while it appears crime and public safety is a Vancouver problem, it's now plaguing the Fraser Valley, Vancouver Island and interior and northern areas. The group is asking for candidates to push for increased policing, sanitation and stronger bylaw enforcement in the civic elections this fall. Our businesses are just trying to stay afloat and keep themselves and their doors open to the public, to the communities they serve. And so dealing with the additional layers of crime and the feelings of safety for their employees is a significant issue for them right now. An example of the negative impact of crime, this vandalism at a TD branch on East Hastings this morning, where several windows were smashed with a brick, causing tens of thousands of dollars in damage. Police say one man has been taken into custody and charged with mischief. 
Now to the wildfire situation in BC. The battleship Mountain Wildfire continues to burn out of control. Calmer winds over the weekend helped the firefighting effort, but not for long. And hundreds of properties in the community of Hudson's Hope are still in danger. Amadagahi reports. Burning at 280 square kilometers and classified as out of control. The Battleship Mountain wildfire continues to keep firefighters busy and a community on edge. The most important front line of this firefight is on its eastern flank, where flames have approached within eight kilometers of the district of Hudson's Hope and only 4,000 meters from the WAC Bennett Dam. With the weather and the drought conditions that we're in right now, we've been in the situation where we've been retreating on the defensive, and that's really been due to the extreme fire behavior, and it is extreme fire behavior that we've been seeing. Also, one of the big limiting factors for us as well is that we have one access and egress in and out to the back end of the fire, and that's actually been compromised day after day by the fire. The powerful, lightning-caused blaze has been active for almost two weeks now. Perhaps most concerning was its activity heading into last weekend, which forced evacuation orders by the Peace River Regional District and the District of Hudson's Hope in the province's northeast. We're a little concerned that there are still a significant number of people that have not evacuated the area, including some that are you know, reasonably close to the front of the wildfire. They, they may feel they're protected, but they're well within what we would consider a high hazard zone and they should be leaving the area. When a fire gets to the state that it's been over the last couple of days, this is no different than any natural disaster like a hurricane or a tornado. There's just nothing we can do to get in front of it. We can't put people in front of it, aircraft, heavy equipment. Uh, we just have to basically pull people back and make sure they're safe. As those living in the area continue to evacuate. My landlord came knocking on my apartment. I was cooking a steak and I had to put it right back in the fridge and grab all my stuff. Monday, wildfire crews found conditions more suitable for defensively planned ignitions, using precise and strategically controlled fire activity in an effort to burn away fuel and hold containment lines. But officials in the area say it's critical for those facing the challenge of evacuating from what is by far the province's largest active wildfire of note to take warnings seriously. Date on the information that at this stage can change any moment. Imadagahi, Global News. And the Flood Falls Trail fire continues to burn out of control near Hope, and an evacuation order remains in place. Grace Key joins us with the latest on the evacuations and the challenge for firefighters. Grace. Yeah, we are just off of Highway 1 west of Hope, where you can see that smoke behind me if you're driving along here uh, on the highway. And all day, helicopters overhead going back and forth to try and put out this fire. Helicopters are focusing on the east and west flanks of the Flood Falls Trail wildfire southwest of Hope. It's grown to 520 hectares and burning out of control. More than a dozen homes have been issued evacuation orders in the Laidlaw and Hunter Creek areas. Logger Daryl Kipp has a lot on the line. What do we have on the line? Uh, about $5 million worth of equipment and uh, I wouldn't even hazard a guess the forest that we're logging up there is probably closer to 30 to 40 million. I don't know what to put a price tag on that. It's it's people's livelihoods, um, equipment, timber, timber value. Some of the timber up there is still standing. So if the fire gets into that, 
is just gone. We won't be able to log it. Crews are working to protect homes and infrastructure with a focus on the north flank at low elevations of the fire near Highway 1. They're also working along the Hunter Creek rest stop area. The blaze is posing a challenge for crews. This fire is burning in very steep terrain, presenting access challenges for our, crown, our ground crews. Helicopters are focusing on bucking, bucketing. However, the reduced visibility has been a challenge. Flames could be seen right next to Highway 1. With concerns of falling debris, it was closed eastbound for most of the day between Bridal Falls and Flood Hope Roads, causing huge backups along Highway 7. We've been on here, it's usually like a five-minute drive, and we've been here yeah. for like over 30. Ridiculous. So, or what ridiculous. As for Daryl, he's thankful for the firefighters, but says a change in the weather is needed. The only thing that's going to stop this uh, this fire is rain. That's the only thing that's going to put it out. Mother Nature needs to come in and give us a hand here. Let's hope that happens. All right, Grace, you mentioned how busy the highway was today. What's the latest on that front? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the good news is Highway 1 eastbound. So if you are headed towards Hope, that is back open, but it is down to one lane only, and that's between Hunter Creek and Flood Hope Road. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting for us live tonight. A self-defense instructor is stepping up her lessons in light of the disturbing assaults in Metro Vancouver. Violence is here. Where no one is immune to violence. Counter How right back into him. How she's turning the string of stranger attacks into a teachable moment next on the news hour. I knew the currents were so strong and we were still over 100 meters away from shore. The heroic actions of a stranger who didn't hesitate to jump into action to save a young boy with autism. That's later. And win a house. It's almost time for the PE prize home draw. Get your tickets out and see what you could win coming up. Right now, though, it's a disturbing trend. Serious attacks on people where knives are the weapon. And it's now reached the point where one self-defense expert is offering classes on what to do. Global's Rumina Dea reports. <coughs> What would you do to survive? The biggest mistake people make in a knife attack? They freeze. They're distracted in thought. They're distracted with earbuds. They're distracted with their phone. Make sure that I'm going to control this and redirect it back into the body. Self-defense so expert control. Jennifer Bages launched a new course earlier this year. Counter right back into him. Focusing on how to protect yourself against an attacker with a knife. Comes in really quick, but I see it, so I block it. I may react quickly, respond counter, strike the groin, strike the face. The idea born out of a staggering number of violent, random assaults on innocent people. It's about time that our community starts to take ownership back on, onto themselves about their own personal security. Instead of feeling insecure, instead of feeling fear walking down the street, empower yourself. Stabbed at a gas station while grabbing coffee. Another one inside Tim Hortons. This is just Vancouver, where four people a day are attacked for no reason, according to the most recent numbers from police. More than 1,500 unprovoked stranger assaults. 47% involving weapons. Every day there's something going on, whether somebody's getting uh, punched at Starbucks, bear sprayed on the street. It's still happening and obviously very concerning for us. He comes, I see the blade, I'm gonna block it, I'm gonna move in and bring him down. You Again, must fight back, says Bages. Your greatest weapon, your body. <clears throat> the attacker wants something. Could be possession, body or life, I don't know. 
but I don't want to take that risk to find out. So I'm going to have to protect myself by defending myself. Ramina Daya, Global News. Breaking news for you. An 86-year-old man has been arrested after the alleged sexual assault of a six-year-old boy at a popular Metro Vancouver mall. Burnaby RCMP released this photo of the man yesterday, making a plea for the public's help to identify him. The man allegedly grabbed and pinched the child's buttocks in the food court area of Metrotown. The suspect was gone by the time officers arrived, but police received a number of tips and were able to identify him. He's been released with several conditions as the investigation continues. Just ahead, new car sticker shock. But the real kicker was uh, when they came in and indicated that there was going to be a price change. They thought they had a done deal until they saw the bill. Plus, bouncing back, BC's financial picture showing improvement next. Good evening. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Portman Bridge. Most of the eastbound traffic is still stuck in Burnaby after clearing a crash near Sprott in the left lane. Take on the season like a pro with the new 2022 Sierra 1500 during the drive into fall event on now. Visit your local GMC dealer today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrua investigates consumer matters on Global News. Well, the province has released its financial forecast for the first quarter, and it turns out the government is awash in cash, on trend to rake in billions more than expected in taxes and royalties this year. And as Richard Zussman reports, a projected multi-billion dollar deficit has suddenly become a small surplus. Better than expected bounce back. British Columbia is well positioned to continue supporting people through emerging global economic headwinds. Amid global economic uncertainty, BC's economy is strong. The province now projecting a $706 million surplus for this fiscal year, after originally forecasting a $9.7 billion deficit, with unemployment now at 4.8%. There's been a lot of job gains and recovery uh, during the pandemic, and of course the inflationary pressures that we're seeing right now also contribute positively to, um, uh, to fiscal government finances. This includes a housing boom where property transfer taxes were expected to be $795 million in revenues. Instead, it's an $863 million windfall. Natural gas royalties also booming, going from $211 million to $552 million. You want to talk about uh, high housing prices, but you don't make any adjustments even though you have enough revenue to do so uh, with the property transfer tax. But more importantly, uh, we're seeing a government that is now collecting $12 billion a year more in taxation than when they took government. The province's books heavily bolstered by contingencies, $400 million in flood recovery, $2 billion in pandemic response, and $2 billion in caseload pressures. One economist says instead of just providing contingencies, the province should actually allocate the money for specific places where it's needed. There's no shortage of uh, investments that are needed in this province across a whole range of areas, 
you know, housing, childcare, uh, addressing the climate crisis, poverty, toxic drugs. There are huge social and environmental deficits. There's also another factor that could add to the deficit, those caseload pressures driven by unsigned deals with the public sector unions. As deals get ratified, we'll certainly have more to say about how that plays out um, on government finances. A potential cost in the billions, much richer than originally budgeted for. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. Well, getting a new electric vehicle these days means putting your name on a wait list and paying a deposit. But it turns out that's no guarantee you'll get what you were expecting. Here's Consumer Matters reporter Anne Drua with one BC couple's cautionary tale. Anne? Thanks, Sophie. A Vancouver Island couple pre-ordered and put a deposit down for the new Ford F-150 Lightning. They were excited about getting behind the wheel of a new electric truck until they were told they would be bumped up to the 2023 model with a much higher price tag. Jason Bean and his family wanted to go green, so Jason and his wife Melanie decided to replace their 1994 Ford Ranger with the new Ford F-150 Lightning electric truck. It was very exciting to be able to do something uh, like this where we could get uh, new technology, new truck. This past January, the Comox couple went down to the Ford dealership to reserve their 2022 model. We went in on January 8th and built the truck. Uh, with the dealer. Jason and Melanie signed off on this preview order form and put down a $2,500 deposit to reserve the vehicle. Can a truck change everything? But this past August, Jason says, his Ford dealer informed him the 2022 electric truck couldn't be delivered and he would be bumped to the 2023 model in a different color. But that wasn't the only change. They came in and indicated that there was going to be a price change of $10,700. Um, which was never discussed. Making matters worse, there are reports Ford USA is offering price protection for some pre-order holders like Jason and Melanie. But Motormouth YouTube channel Zach Spencer says Ford Canada and Ford USA run as separate companies. They do have autonomy in individual markets. I think it's also because the market here is so small in comparison to the United States. Spencer also says in most cases, the actual transaction price is settled when the vehicle is delivered. Still, Spencer says right now, ongoing supply chain issues, high inflation and the war in Europe are all contributing to higher input costs for every auto manufacturer, especially when it comes to a electric vehicles. Every major car company in the world announcing electrification plans, but they're all chasing the same materials. So that drives up the price. So good luck in the future, especially in the next four to five years, getting an affordable electric car. Consumer Matters reached out repeatedly to Ford Canada to ask about price protection for Ford Canada customers, but we never received a response. Nor did Ford Canada respond to questions around the paperwork Jason and Melanie signed. Since the price hike, they've put the brakes on their Ford electric truck and walked away, taking their $2,500 deposit with them. Be careful and be prepared that you may not get what you, you, know, what you intended to purchase, and it may not be the same price that you intended to purchase it at. 
And the nonprofit Automobile Protection Association says the policy around price protection varies between auto manufacturers and also relies to a certain degree on the integrity of the dealer. It also recommends before you sign anything to ask questions. Is the price protected? For how long? What is the automaker's policy for a signed agreement with a deposit? The more you know before you sign those papers, the better. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Still to come, a final farewell. This is my, my last opportunity to say goodbye. Thousands lined the streets in Scotland to pay respect to the Queen. And just ahead, public versus private with big challenges in healthcare right now, how Canadians feel about opening up the system. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Good evening from the Alex Fraser Bridge where traffic is in good shape both north and south where you will find a bit of a backup is underneath on Highway 17 at the 91 connector where there's construction. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Police in Kelowna are asking for the public's help to identify two individuals believed to be connected to the assault of a woman in the downtown area. Officers responded to the area of Bernard Avenue and Mill Street at around 9.30 back on August 18th. That's where they found an injured female believed to be the victim of an assault earlier that evening. She was taken to hospital with life-threatening injuries and so far... She's not been able to tell investigators what happened. But today, police released surveillance images of two women possibly known to the victim who investigators allege were behind the assault. They're asking anyone who might be able to identify the pair to contact Kelowna RCMP. Pierre Poiliev made his Parliament Hill debut as the new Conservative leader today after winning his party's leadership Saturday night with a resounding 68% of the vote. Poiliev met this morning with the MPs and Senators who make up the Conservative National Caucus. Global's chief political correspondent David Aiken has more. A new leader and some renewed confidence among Conservative MPs that they think they have finally found the leader that can beat the Trudeau Liberals. Liberals are desperate to try to define who Pierre is because they know that Pierre is going to win voters that have traditionally voted Liberal. So uh, obviously they're desperate today, they'll be desperate in the days to come, and so we expect a lot of things thrown at us. In his first speech as leader of his caucus, Pierre Poiliev stuck to the same messages that won him his resounding victory Saturday night. We as Conservatives are always happy to work with any party to collaborate and extend and advance the interests of Canadians. We are, but there will be no compromise on this point. Conservatives will not support any new tax increases and we will fight tooth and nail to stop the coalition from introducing any. And there is no sign of sour grapes from supporters of losing candidates. So says this co-chair of Jean Charest's campaign. No, none whatsoever. You know, the party spoke pretty clearly. When you get 68% of the vote, that looks like unity to me. And from our end and Jean Charest's end, obviously we're, we're disappointed. But you go into these contests uh, preparing yourself for any result. The new leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition will get his first chance to lock horns with the Prime Minister a week from Tuesday. David Aiken, Global News, 
Ottawa. All right, hope you have your tickets ready. It is time for the PNE Prize Home Draw. Let's take a look at what's happening. Uh, I have to squint a bit so I can see what's happening down there. Let's see who is going to get the keys to their new home in Langley. And it looks like uh, we are about to make that draw. Good evening, British Columbia. I'm Shelley Frost, President and CEO of the PE, and we are ready to draw the winning ticket for the 2022 PE Prize Home. With me is Vancouver City Councillor and PE Chair, Board Chair Lisa Dominato, and we would like to invite the Mayor of Vancouver, Kennedy Stewart, to pull that lucky winning ticket. Mr. Mayor. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. Once the Mayor pulls the winning ticket, he will read the ticket number out loud for verification. All right. Got one ticket. Gonna pull it out. Got it right here. And the number is. I need my glasses for this one. <laughs> Get it right. Eight, seven, three, nine, seven, six, five. That winning ticket is now being authenticated by our lottery officials, and then we're going to phone the winner. If you bought a ticket for the PE Prize Home Lottery this year and your phone is ringing, you're going to want to take that call. While we attempt to reach the winner, I do want to thank British Columbians for their incredible support of our 2022 PE Fair and the PE Lottery. It's your support that helps keep this organization strong. And I also want to thank our PE team for their amazing work this summer. They are now eagerly preparing to resurrect Fright Nights, Western Canada's scariest haunt, which is on hiatus for two years and will be back in all of its frightening glory on October 7th with seven terrifying haunted houses. And brand new this year will be our PE Winter Fair, opening December 14th and running for an action packed 10 days through December 23rd. If you thought this year's Summer Night Concert Series was exciting, just wait for our Winter Fair concert announcement later this month. This new Winter Fair is not a drive-through, but it will build on the glowing lands of winter lights and expand to include people's fair favorites, interactive live music, holiday-themed shows, an indoor concert series fe featuring your very favorite holiday stars, as well as themed food and market vendors. Stay tuned for more information in late September. That's great. Earlier, this, earlier today, we gave away some amazing prizes that include cash, vehicles, and earlier today, I got to speak with our 50-50 winner, Rene Denos from Langley, and I got to tell him that he was the winner of over $888,000 as part of our 50-50 total jackpot of $1.778 million. That was a good day. So all the excitement is built up till today. And unfortunately, we are not able to get the winner on the phone. But I am pleased to announce that the winner of the 2022 Peony Prize Home is Barb Banford of Burnaby, BC. Whoa. That's Barb Banford. Congratulations to Barb. We'll be with. We'll get in touch with her shortly to come out and tour the home. And thank you guys. Thank you. Answer your phone, Barb. Barb Banford of Burnaby.
873-9765 is the winner of this year's PNE Prize Home. Uh, so maybe you'll be moving from Burnaby to Langley, Barb, in your Tuscan-inspired three-level, three-bedroom, 3,400-square-foot home. Congratulations, and hopefully the PNE folks can get in touch with you soon. Well, in Health Matters tonight, despite all of the recent problems with our health care system, a new poll shows many Canadians and British Columbians are still leery of introducing more private care into the mix. Kamala Karamali reports. Um, that was at the Pride picnic here. It's Black. been a difficult journey for Katrina Mosh and her three children. She says the family of four suffer from multiple medical issues. And my doctor quit, so we are struggling to find people to take on our health care. For Mosh, the answer is an infusion of private care into Canada's health care system, allowing those who can afford it an alternative option, even though she can't. Then it means shorter wait times for those of us who are waiting on the lists. But a new poll by Angus Reid Institute shows most Canadians don't share Mosh's views. About half of British Columbians reject the idea of more private care, while one-third of people surveyed say for-profit care would improve the province's health care system. The rest aren't sure. Meanwhile, across Canada, the numbers are virtually the same. If you're somebody who's more open to the notion of private care, uh, that 30% maybe isn't the number that you're looking for, but at the same time, it's a lot higher than it might have been a generation ago. The larger support for private care seen in Saskatchewan and Quebec at 40% or more. There are also differing views among different income levels. For those making less than $25,000 a year, less than a quarter of them believe more private care is needed. While among those with an annual income level of $100,000 or higher, more than 40% believe the same. But some doctors say the right solution is overhauling the current public health care system. I don't think, I really don't think the American system is, is a good thing to bring in. It's not, it, it's only going to make things worse and exacerbate the, the inequality and the disparity of care that is already there. But others argued that would take too long for those dealing with medical conditions. Waiting isn't an option. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A boy with special needs swept out to sea. I could see that he was um, had blue lips and he was very tired. The West Van woman who came to the rescue later. Plus, mourning their mother, the Queen. The royal family come together to pay their respects. Well, the funeral for Queen Elizabeth will be held next Monday at Westminster Abbey. Today in Edinburgh, thousands lined the street for a procession to move the Queen's casket to St. Giles Cathedral, giving the Scottish public a chance to say goodbye. Global's Kyle Benning has more. A solemn moment in Edinburgh as a procession for the Queen ran through the Scottish capital from Holyrood House to St. Giles Cathedral. The citizens of the Commonwealth are grieving, but the loss far more striking for the royal family. Not just grieving the loss of their Queen, but their mother, grandmother and great-grandmother too. Prince Harry posting a statement on his website speaking to how much he will miss his granny and will cherish their time together. Quote, from my earliest childhood memories with you, to meeting you for the first time as my commander-in-chief, to the first moment you met my darling wife and hugged your beloved great-grandchildren. 
the public sharing the sentiment as the Scottish people pay respects to the Queen. This is my, my last opportunity to say goodbye, so it was important to take that. I think it shows you how much people appreciated what the Queen done throughout her life. So it felt right to actually be here, so it, yeah, it was quite emotional when she went past. King Charles III met with English lawmakers as he prepares to take on the role as head of state. She set an example of selfless duty, which, with God's help and your counsels, I am resolved faithfully to follow. He also heard from Scottish parliamentarians who passed on their condolences and their appreciation for the Queen's support of their country. In recent days, other leaders have shared stories from Balmoral of barbecues cooked by Prince Philip as the Queen laid the table. These are memories I treasure too. People in Edinburgh can pay their respects to the Queen in person, walking past her caskets until Tuesday when she will be moved to Westminster Hall in London. She will lie in state at the hall until her funeral next week. Kyle Benning, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon, who is also live at the PNE tonight. Uh, and it sounds like maybe we found Barb. That's right. We did get a hold of Barb, which is so exciting, Sophie. It was too bad we weren't able to do it live on television, but she sounds so excited. So it's Barb Bamford from the uh, Burnaby area. Uh, they may not get her out to see the home tonight, but they have a plan to do that in the next couple of days. They're going to take her down and uh, maybe have a bit of champagne while she tours her new home in Langley. This is a 3,400 square foot home with a one-bedroom suite, so pretty awesome for Barb, that's for sure. Uh, and Exciting time, that's for sure. Uh, Sophia, I wanted to mention today was a little bit better in terms of the smoke, but we are going to see a gradual improvement tomorrow as well. But it will be a while before we see this smoke completely clear. Here's a quick look at the air quality health index from today. Uh, we saw a lot of blue, and that indicates a low risk for the lower mainland, but that wasn't the case in through the Fraser Valley earlier today. In fact, it was at a very high risk level, and we could see that type of scenario come and go in the coming days. Uh, you you can see also moderate to high risk in through the Okanagan Valley, so we're still dealing with very widespread smoke. So into tomorrow, what we're going to see is slightly more of a westerly flow, not much of a breeze, but enough that it could help to disperse some of that smoke. But where we're dealing with that smoke in through the Hope area, because of the fires, it could be tough to clear it out. It really depends on how much smoke uh, is because of that fire. Tomorrow we'll see sunshine in the morning, but we have a risk of thunderstorms through the Fraser Valley and in through the interior. So gusty winds from thunderstorms storms can be problematic for firefighting as well. We don't need any more lightning strikes in these exact areas. We still have high to extreme fire danger rating in a lot of southern BC. Meanwhile, the south coast will see sunshine if we can see sunshine. That smoke will come and go and it will be fairly light. It won't be as bad as what we saw today, but only, as I mentioned, a gradual improvement. 21 degrees should be our high in the Fraser Valley, as I mentioned, widespread smoke coming and going depending on your location. Tonight's central windows weather window showing you the smoke and through the Green Lake area. Yes, so it is coming and going in all parts of the province. Uh, so it's certainly full-on uh, wildfire season still, Sophie, but at least we've seen some fairly dry weather, but we certainly do need some rain. Definitely do. All right, thanks for that, Christy. I did feel a little sprinkle when I was driving, like a tiny, tiny little sprinkle yeah. when I was coming was into it. work today. But not <laughs> nearly enough. Mm -hmm. uh, Squire is here now. Hello, Squire. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. 
And you? I'm excellent, okay. thank you. What do you have for us? So was Bo Horvat. He's feeling good. He's back in Vancouver, and he says he wants to be in Vancouver for years to come. You know, obviously, I want to be a Vancouver Canuck, and I want to stay here. He, of course, needs a contract extension, but he'll let his agent deal with all that so he can concentrate on playing hockey. He's not a strong swimmer. He's autistic, and he's swimming out to sea. Also tonight, a challenging rescue and how the quick action and quick thinking of a perfect stranger made sure this story had a positive ending. I have a case of the Mondays. Really? Well, it's Monday, so it's good You timing. seem very cheery, though. Well, it's not like I don't like Mondays, but I just feel a little like, easing into the week. It's I a see. slow process. Okay. I thought you were going to break into some boomtown rats there. No, I just need some time to... Okay. You take the time. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll take okay. a bit of the load off you here Thank for you. about five minutes. Okay. The uh, C on Bo Horvat's jersey, of course, we all know, stands for captain. It also stands for the team he wants to play for, the Canucks, and what he needs to keep playing here, a contract. Bo Horvat does have one final year left on his current deal, but he needs an extension like JT Miller got, and he wants one from Vancouver. Um, for me, I just want to be a, a great leader, um, a guy that's going to show up every single day and work hard and, and lead by example and, um, and do whatever I can to help this team win right now because right now I play for the Vancouver Canucks and that's the way I want it to be. And the Canucks captain wants that to be for the rest of his career. It's something Bo Horvat echoed time and time again when he was asked about entering the funnel year of his contract that'll pay him $5.5 million this season and as of yet, no contract extension formally signed to keep him in Vancouver beyond this year. You know, obviously it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a lengthy process and, you know, I'm kind of leaving that up to, to my agency and, and Pat Morris and, and uh, you know, just keeping it private and, you know, just, uh, you know, obviously I want to be a Vancouver Canuck and, and I want to stay here and I love our group. My wife and I love the city. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of... If I wanted to play for one team for my whole career, it'd be the Vancouver Canucks. So, um, obviously, it's a, uh, a long process, and, and uh, we'll see where it goes. First, Horvath steals. Bo Horvath in on the left wing. Horvath slap shot. Goals! Horvath is coming off a career high for goals scored with 31 in 70 games before his season was cut short by injury. The 27-year-old is in the prime of his career and is more than capable of living up to his end of the deal if the Canucks choose to sign him long-term. Either way, he's in for a hefty raise, and it appears both sides want to get a deal done. Pretty optimistic about before training camp getting a deal, or before start of the season. Mm -hmm. Well, we still uh, continue to talk here, and as I said, we have a lot of respect for Bo, and Bo is our captain here, and uh, he's been a good player uh, for for his stint in, in Vancouver, so uh, hopefully we can figure something out here. These things take time, and sometimes uh, you know, they take longer than others, and you know, it's still, like I said, it's, it's ongoing, and... And, um, you know, for me, it, it's not my job to kind of to worry about it right now. I, uh, I'm back with the guys. I'm excited to be back. And, um, you know, I'm excited to get things going. Like it, was, it was awesome being out there in the skate today and, and seeing the new guys and just laughing with the guys again and having fun. And, um, you know, I can't wait for camp to start. I'm really looking forward to it. Canada's women's hockey team and the U.S. women's hockey team never tire of playing each other. And just after a couple of months of playing each other for the gold medal at the World Championship, which Canada won. 
They will play a seven-game series with each other, and two of the games will be in B.C. November 15th in Kelowna and then November 17th in Kamloops. Um, there's also a game in Seattle in this series. Okay, the B.C. Lions have already decided that Vernon Adams Jr. will be their starting quarterback this Saturday against Calgary. That'll mean the Lions will have had four different starting quarterbacks in four straight games. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Nathan Rourke gets hurt. Michael O'Connor gets hurt. Antonio Pipkin, his performance was hurting. And now it's Adams, whom BC picked up from Montreal recently. Adams did get some time in last week's game against the Alouettes, which didn't go well for the Lions, and it didn't go so well for him. To be fair, he didn't really know the offense, so a full week's practice, and he'll be up to speed before they play Calgary on Saturday. But who could have imagined this a month ago, that the Nathan Rourke feel-good story would turn into this? All right. Russell Wilson used to call this his home. When he ran out tonight, he got booed. Well, I know. But Geno Smith, he was getting cheers. In fact, they were chanting his name, Geno, 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 after this. A little toss to Will Disley in Seattle gets the first touchdown in this game. 38-yarder, 7-0. Actually, Geno Smith was great in the first half. He only missed on one of his passes. Took Russell Wilson a while to get going. Finally, Jerry Judy gets away from the defense and goes 67 yards to tie at 10-10. But then Geno Smith answers back. Colby Parkinson, a couple of tight end scoring touchdowns in the first half. Yep. 17-13 at halftime. Seattle has the lead over Denver. And they'll love those cheer. Green uniforms. I know they'll they'll cheer Russell years from now when right. they when they you know they just need retire his jersey. But yeah, they need a little time. time. All right, thank you, Squire. Too soon. Just ahead, when a West Van woman heard a mother cry out for help, her own maternal instinct kicked in. Her heroic actions next on the News Hour. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? And Sophie, we're keeping a camera in hope tonight in case there are any developments with the Flood Falls Trail wildfire. Plus, things are not so sweet at Purdy's Chocolates. The Vancouver company could be behind picket lines come midnight. Workers are threatening a strike, demanding better and seniority protections. Also tonight, BC's booming film industry. While the scale of Hollywood North's bounce back has surprised almost everyone. Details at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Nothing short of a hero. That's what police are calling a West Vancouver woman who braved the cold and choppy waters of the ocean Friday to save a teenager on the autism spectrum. Catherine Urquhart has more on the woman's remarkable efforts. It was a quiet morning in Dundarave along the West Vancouver waterfront. Suddenly, there were cries for help. A teenage boy on the autism spectrum was in the water, and the tide had pulled him out more than 100 metres from shore. I took my kids down to the beach, and we were just hanging on the shoreline when we heard the, the screaming and went over to assess what was going on. After ensuring her two young children were cared for, Emmeline stripped down to her underwear and went into the water. They had tried to go out there. The waves were pretty big, pretty big swells. Um, I said, I'm a strong enough swimmer. I can give it a go. Soon after, first responders arrived. So it was quite a, a frantic scene, as you can imagine. There were um, two care workers who had called this into us. 
as MLN approached the nonverbal 15-year-old named Sean, he swam further out to sea and was clearly scared. He started, you know, kicking me and pushing me away and he was really afraid so I had to regroup, move away and just talk to him. I just said, hey, Sean, your mom's on the beach. She's got popsicles. They're yellow. Like, come on. And then as soon as he smiled at me, um, I knew that I had gained his trust. Emmeline says she then was able to hold him up and remove some of his excess clothing. Finally, the Coast Guard was on scene and the two were plucked to safety. Absolutely put her life on the line for this young person who she had never met before. Um, she's nothing short of a hero and uh, deserves all the recognition in the world because she absolutely saved this person's life. Police don't typically recommend doing what Emmeline did that day, but as a mom, she says she couldn't watch and do nothing. A little tougher than I thought, but um, I definitely wasn't going to leave him out there. A young man still alive thanks to this mother's bravery. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well done. And well oh, done, Barb go, Bamford. Emily. Yes, two winners today, really, Sophie. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Barb Bamford of, of uh, Burnaby. She's born and raised in Burnaby. She's 54 years old and she's so excited. So she'll be touring the home in uh, just a couple of days. And uh, I guess her sister's coming over to sort of calm her down a little bit. She's pretty <laughs> excited. Uh, tomorrow bet. we've got some sunshine on the way, but it's still going to be quite hazy. Those of you in the interior, or sorry, Fraser Valley, they'll watch for thunderstorms in the afternoon. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night, all.